When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Join me for insightful conversations and interviews about our cattle industry. Here we discuss the shared struggles and successes of this life we've chosen as ranchers. Here we seek to learn from the experts around us, eager to grow and challenge the accepted. Here we are, the Black Hereford Chronicles. We'll kick off today with a sale report. The Central State Select Black Hereford sale was on the 4th. Their bulls averaged $4,900. The bred heifers brought $3,500. The bred cows brought $2,800. The pears averaged $4,200. And the open cows averaged $3,500. Congratulations to the Hamiltons and the Schraders and all those that put on that sale down there. I would say that they had a pretty darn successful sale. Good job, guys. We're less than a month away from the debut of the signature Black Hereford sale. December 10th, make sure you've marked it down on your calendar. Make sure you've got Ag Sale Day bookmarked because on December 10th, you're gonna want to follow the signature Black Hereford sale. The signature sale is your chance to get some Smith Black Hereford genetics and take a look at a few special guests with their offerings as well. Just in the market for semen, Smith Black Hereford has you covered there too, with semen available on some of your favorite next herd sires. SBH 7132 Al Capone 1970 and BF SBH Senator H13 are double homo and ready for your tank. They've also got semen up on C Triple Your Miles and BCR Turn Me Loose. To find more about the December 10th Signature Black Hereford sale or Smith Black Hereford semen offering, you can follow Smith Black Herfords on Facebook, visit smithblackherfords.com, or call Jacob at 641-521-9947 or Mark at 641-521-0797. Hey, thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Black Herford Chronicles. Um, I've got a guest here today that I think is going to give us some really interesting insight about some happenings, some movings and shakings in the beef industry right now. So I've got Dr. Ken Odie here. And would you take a minute and just kind of introduce yourself to our audience? I know there's probably a lot of people that are familiar with some of the work you've done, but give us kind of a rundown of who you are and, and what you do in this industry. Sure. I'd be happy to. And thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, so I, I actually live in North Central South Dakota uh, right now. We have, my wife and I have a ranch up here. I'm a retired uh, university administrator, college professor. So my career, uh, I spent uh, 11 years on the faculty at Colorado State University. Then I was worked in industry mostly for Pfizer for eight years, was at North Dakota State for four and then the last 15 years, I was at Kansas State University. So I was head of the animal science department at Kansas State University, 
retired from there about a year and a half ago, back to our ranch in South Dakota. And uh, my wife and I ranch with our son and daughter-in-law and, and uh, three grandkids. So I'm mostly his uh, uh, hired man at this time. And then uh, I have some other consulting work, including this one task that uh, you're going to be visiting with me about here this afternoon. So I think you must use the term retired very lightly and in quotations, because that doesn't sound very retired to me. No, it's, I, I would say uh, uh, what retirement is for me is is just a, a bit more of getting to do the things I'm really passionate about. So I, I tell most people that my retirement is really I retired to two things, uh, grandkids and cows. So that's what my uh, most of my retirement's about. Well, today I want to bug you about the news that kind of started hitting the airwaves in the last couple of weeks, the Genetic Merit Task Force. And this is something that I just find super interesting. And I imagine there's quite a few people out there that are going to agree. So will you kind of give us the background as to what this task force really is and how you got involved with it? Okay, I'd be happy to. So uh, maybe a little more background information, but uh, 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 in this beef industry, if you take a look at our seed stock industry, and I think you're in the seed stock business, um, over the last 40 or 50 years, we've, we've really had a lot of change in the technology and the tools we have to actually select superior genetics. And so uh, I started my career way back in the 70s, and we didn't have these tools. At that time, we sold bulls, and about all we knew was maybe a weaning weight and a yearling weight. In the 80s, we came along with EPDs, and uh, and then, of course, in more recent years, we've added genomically enhanced EPDs. So now we have uh, better tools for making uh, selection decisions. Uh, what this task force is about is really uh, taking that technology, the technology that we're currently using in the seed stock industry, and it's starting to extend its utilization to the feeder calf market. So if you really think about this, uh, uh, we know a lot today because of our technology, when we're making bull buying decisions or replacement heifer purchasing decisions, we generally have a lot of information and, and we can use that information to make better quality decisions. Uh, the way feeder cattle are generally traded is, is uh, we might know something about calf health. We might have some background information on health. But we generally don't know too much about uh, the genetics. We don't have good systems for communicating that kind of information. So this task force is really uh, dedicated to increasing the utilization of quantitative genetic descriptions uh, in the marketing of calves and feeder cattle. So that's really what the objective uh, uh, of the task force actually is. I think this is going to be. So for a little perspective, my husband and I, we are seed stock providers. We also have a commercial cow-calf operation and retain some calves through the feedlot. And okay. so I see this from both sides, this benefit of getting that information out there on how those calves perform. You can invest all your money in excellent bulls, but if you're selling them at weaning off the cow, if you're not retaining any of them and not getting any of that information back on how they performed, it's hard to really know if you're hitting the market where it's at. And then in turn, hard to turn around and market those in a way that shows their value 
to those feedlot buyers. So it's a really interesting idea to to start to pass some of that knowledge on down the chain. Uh, absolutely, and we we would like to think there are several ways. Uh, well, and, and and let me back up just a bit. We already have a, a number of organizations that are that are making attempts at this, but they're rather small at this point in time. It isn't like, uh, you know, we have we we slaughtered twenty six million head of finished cattle, and and uh, we don't have a lot of cattle that are traded with uh, with what I would call genetic information. But I think we've already started to make a little bit of movement. One thing I would say is, in addition to retrieving data from the feedlot and perhaps from the carcass data as well. Uh, in this case, if we know, uh, let's say we know uh, we have a uh, hundred head of calves out here and uh, they're started by four different bulls and we know the EPDs for those bulls, we now have some additional information that we can use on those calves. And what we're encouraging is for people to start looking at that level, but this level is going to get more precise over time. Uh, and that's because uh, we've mapped the genomes of several species. We keep learning more and more about genetics and genetic control. So over time, I would anticipate that we will be able to more precisely describe uh, what those cattle actually are. That'll be amazing. It, you know, where this goes 20 years from now, I can't even fathom. Well, I, I've been around this industry for probably 40 plus years, and the change in that period of time has been uh, been very, very significant. And I, I would anticipate, the way I look at this is, I, I used to, in my years at, uh, uh, in when I worked for Pfizer, we got really heavily involved with superior livestock and doing lots of data analysis. And one of the things that happened over that maybe 20 year period is uh, we got much better at describing calves for health purposes. So we have vaccination programs. Uh, we have, uh, we know that calves that are weaned and have two shots of modified live viral vaccine are considerably lower disease risk than calves that have not received that kind of program. And that progress has come along over, over many years. And we'll continue to learn more on the management side as well. But uh, I think the genetic side is where the where the uh, opportunity, I think a rather significant opportunity exists at this point in time. Well, it looks like the task force has a pretty long list of participants. Good luck to you trying to manage that many people. But yes. can you talk a little bit about what swaths of the industry you're trying to cover, kind of sure. what the goal was with those members? Well, first thing we wanted is people that are highly respected for their knowledge of uh, the beef industry, and then particularly the segment of the beef industry that they actually come from. We also wanted people that represented this industry uh, very broadly geographically. So, you know, those of us, you and I sit up here in the kind of in the upper Midwest and Nebraska and South Dakota, and I spent most of my last 15 years in Kansas. but uh, and, and those are obviously those are big cow calf states, but uh, there's an awful lot of cows in the southeast, for example. So we want to we want to make sure that this task force is well represented geographically as well. So we have people from really all different parts of the country. 
but at the end of the day, the most important thing is that they're knowledgeable and highly respected so that we can take this collective group and uh, really put forth uh, an effort that really makes sense to try to move the industry further along in describing feeder cattle and calves uh, genetically so that we can differentiate those more than what we do today. Well, I guess the big question is, how are you going to do it? Well, that's a, that's, that's, uh, I would say that's what we're figuring out. So I might tell you just a little more. Uh, Tom Brink, who is the uh, uh, CEO of the Red Angus Association, Tom has really been the driver of getting this thing started, has solicited a lot of support from different uh, organizations. Then I was brought in uh, by the kind of the founders of the group, and I have a background in several different parts of this industry uh, and in university uh, as well as in uh, uh, private sector. So I think that's why they wanted uh, me to participate in this whole program. Uh, and then the task force is really made up of people within the industry. Uh, but we have two outstanding animal breeders on the task force. In fact, uh, both of those reside in Nebraska. Uh, Dr. Matt Spangler, who's a professor at University of Nebraska, and uh, Dr. Larry Keene, who's a scientist at the Meat Animal Research Center at Clay Center, Nebraska. They're bringing the genetics, the precise genetics and animal breeding expertise uh, to the table. And then we have two top economists, Dr. Daryl Peel from Oklahoma State and John Nalifka uh, from Sterling Marketing, who uh, is, is very well respected as an analyst in this industry. So we're trying to bring not just the uh, people who are directly participating in the industry, but that expertise that we think we need to help us uh, help us uh, figure this out. And, and we, don't, we don't have a what I'd call a precise plan at this point in time that's developing. We just had our first task force meeting uh, in Denver last week. So we, we had a really, really good session for sharing a lot of ideas and looking at what the potential might be and what the different strategies might be. Uh, so I think we're off to a good start, but we obviously have a lot of work to do yet too. What kind of feedlot buy-in do you anticipate getting or have you gotten so far with this? I would say the first thing is uh, uh, this task force that has uh, uh, 32 members, probably about 10 of those come out of the cattle feeding industry. So I, th I think if you think about their situation, obviously they're, in they're interested and have a lot of motive for high quality genetics. Uh, but they're generally running fairly large kinds of organizations. And so, uh, and, and, and so, and they have obviously many things that are important to their business in addition to uh, genetics. But I think most of the people we have on the task force are, are very, very open. You know, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that every one of those cattle feeders stood up and says, well, if you get the right calves, I'll pay you more. Because uh, what they'd like to do is they'd like to have the right calves as kind of the standard in the industry, as you, as we, we understand that we understand that this is business. Uh, but I think, um, I, I think the industry is ripe for this. If you take a look at where we're at supply wise, you know, our cow numbers are way down. Um, and, uh, as we start to build back that cow herd and the opportunity to really continue to improve genetics. And I think we have been improving genetics, uh, 
in, at a pretty good pace for some time. I think if you look across our, our various uh, breeds and breed organizations, uh, I think we've been moving um, in that direction. I do want to point out that, you know, as we're a cow-calf operator, my son and I and our families, and uh, we know that there's more than just producing high-quality calves for the cattle feeder. Uh, we know that traits like fertility and traits like longevity are very important to uh, cow-calf profitability. So we don't we don't intend to sacrifice any of those uh, traits that are really important in cow-calf production to achieve uh, perhaps you know uh, improved feedlot performance or improved uh, carcass merit. We want to we want to do both, but we want to recognize what's ultimately what's really important to cow-calf producers as well. Did you miss out on Schrader's Black Herefords at the Central States sale? Don't worry, your dreams aren't totally crushed. Schrader's, down in Babtown, Missouri, might still be able to hook you up if you move quick. Schrader's is truly a family operation where owner-operators Jason and Kristen Schrader are pulling on generations of century farm knowledge. If you listen to episode 30 of this show, you know that Schrader's have a wealth of knowledge and have built an intentional program with an eye on legacy building for the future generations. If you're curious about their operation, go back, listen to episode 30, it's a doozy. Schraders are passionate about cattle, family, and American Black Herefords, selling bulls all over the country. They've built their Black Herefords with a philosophy on growing maternal traits without losing sight of those carcass quality traits. Schraders are taking reservations on yearlings now. You can call Jason, at 573-680-1439, he loves to chat, or check out their website, which is really a wealth of knowledge on all things Black Herford, at Schrader's Black Herfords, and that's S-C-H-R-O-E-D-E-R-S, Schrader'sBlackHerfords.com. And make sure you give them a follow on Facebook. It's a follow you won't regret. I love that you said that because I do think there's been kind of this weird dichotomy lately, especially in the seed stock industry, that you can only be terminal or only be maternal. And really what we should all be pushing towards is a higher balance of both of those, right? That should be the goal. Well, that, that I would say that's one goal. Let me give you some other possibilities. Um, if we we are we have not been very good in the beef industry at, at really utilizing heterosis very effectively. So the the best way to utilize heterosis is through um, a, a wise breeding systems. So let me give you an example. If we had a if we have a cow herd that's a uh, that's a an F1 cross of two different breeds and has r- really strong uh, heterosis. Heterosis is really important for fertility and longevity. But also, if we do a good job of selecting on the additive gene side, so for traits like, say, stability is a trait that really is important for uh, keeping cows around and having them continue to reproduce uh, year after year. So one of the strategies here is not just a, I'll call it a balanced herd that balance all of the maternal traits and the terminal traits, 
but it's a, it's a breeding system, for example, that could be a terminal sire program. It could be a terminal sire program where we have uh, our, our uh, terminal sires are obviously selected for uh, feedlot performance and carcass merit, and our maternal sires have much heavier emphasis on the maternal traits. And if you look at most of our breed associations now, we really have the tools because most of them would have a terminal index, or they would also have a, a, uh, a an overall index uh, that would basically be uh, have maternal balanced with uh, terminal as well. So I think I think there's lots of opportunity there, and we have a lot of opportunity in this beef industry to use heterosis more effectively than what we're using it today. I the wheels are turning now, so I noticed that uh, Allied Genetics has hopped onto the task force and I've had Marty on the podcast okay. before and sure. we've worked um, within our operation. We've done the right mate okay. program. And that just really gets the wheels turning about how those mating decisions becoming more intentional and then having added data that comes through the task force, yeah. something like yeah. that could really make a huge difference in a program. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I'm familiar with Allied and I'm familiar with Marty and, and uh, what those guys are actually up to. But you're absolutely right. The, the opportunities here and, and one of the challenges, I think, for cow-calf producers is, is we are it's it's the challenge is that uh, we start to make some progress in a particular area and then the information almost becomes overwhelming. Yes. So I think I think one of our challenges is, and I think this is important in the genetic merit task force, is really helping. Uh, I'll call it uh, boil boil the information down into to and that's what we that's what the breed associations try to do with all their indexes. The trouble is now we've almost got so many indexes. Yes. That pages the of them. them. <laughs> the indexes themselves become confusing, and of course they were intended to make the EPDs uh easier to understand and apply is that that was actually the intent but it's always that's always the challenge so and i think there will always be plenty of room i worked most of my career in the university environment and and with a lot of extension folks and you know that's that's the challenge i i think one of the challenges we have right now with genetics is that um uh, we've got uh i i suspect i believe a lot of cow calf producers who who I've almost backed away a little bit from EPDs just because it's it's too complicated. It's maybe not too bad if they've got a really good source of bulls and a really trusted supplier, but uh, if they don't, that's that's damaging. That's actually damaging. It's almost become like a badge. We, you know, we're so tribal as people, and it, it's almost become like a tribal thing. I don't use EPDs. I won't yeah. look at those. And yeah. that's absolutely wild to me, because why would we not want to use every possible tool available to us to look at an entire picture to make yeah. an informed choice? I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the I think I'm I'm on the Beef Improvement Federation Board of Directors. And one of my issues with the board uh, I've been on about a year and a half now is to is to see if there's some ways we can start to communicate in fashions that make make. Uh, uh, I'll call it EPDs, uh, easier and more understandable. And I think it's a challenge. We now have lots of breeds or lots of breeders who are maybe selling two or three different breeds yes. and then look at their sale catalogs. 
and they now have three different sets of EPDs. And uh, and 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 this got to remember this bull buyer may be buying bulls once a year. Okay, and uh, uh, once a year, there's no way that individual could be expected to have the expertise to adequately uh, sift through all of that information and make wise decisions. So I think that's I think that's one of the big challenges, and we and we do see a lot of breeders selling uh, selling multiple breeds as well. So it, it's 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 a challenge. Plenty of work to do for our university extension people. I can say that lots yes. of opportunity there. I'm curious if you see any kind of value added connections to where this could go. Yeah, I, I, I would actually position this and, and you brought that phrase up value added. But so in my career, uh, if we go back into the 90s, we started talking about value added calf programs. That was that language and that conversation started probably somewhere in the mid 90s. What it meant for the most part was value added calf health programs. So I worked for Pfizer at the time. We created a program called SelectVac. It had different levels of participation like WeanVac, PreVac, uh, uh, and uh, those different kinds of levels. And other organizations had similar kinds of things. So we thought about those as value added. Then we got into the 2000s and we started to talk about things like age and source verification. Uh, we started to talk about uh, natural programs. We started to talk about a variety of other, and they all kind of fit into that category that we call value-added calf programs. So the whole idea was, is if there's commodity calves that are just basically base calves, if we do something to them, make them more disease resistant, uh, make them uh, better fit in the marketplace, that would be added value, and 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 a rancher could capture added value for doing that. So I, I think now we're coming up on this genetic piece, uh, which is really very similar as the way I actually see it. So I would see if we can document, let's say we got a set of calves, my example that I used before, we maybe know sire EPDs on the calves. We might even know maternal grandsires. If we know maternal grandsires, then we really know a lot about the genetics of the cow herd. And if we have those two pieces of information, we now can add to the predictability of these calves. Okay, it's not perfect, but it's it's going to add, and it's going to be. I think over time will actually be pretty good. That's where a lot of organizations are kind of headed right now. And then what'll happen is it, when the marketplace gets enough confidence that those calves really are worth more, we'll see the market respond. And that's what happened on the calf health side. It took several years before we had those calf health programs out there that the market really responded and started to pay more. We have, I've published papers showing that if calves come out of a VAC 45 program compared to unweaned, unvaccinated calves, they're worth about $50 a head more, okay? And uh, that's real money, that's real money. So I think I, I think we will be seeing that sometime in the future with, uh, with the genetic descriptions that we get to uh, calves as well. What kind of timeline are you guys hoping for here? When when should we start to get excited to see stuff? <laughs> well, I I will tell you that the first thing, uh, and I'm sure you already know this, is but change never happens rapidly in the beef industry. Uh, in fact, change we're, we're an industry that is very slow to change, and and I would argue in most cases 
that slowness to change has probably been with with a fair amount of wisdom as well. Okay, there's a lot of there's a lot of directions people could go that uh, might not be wise in the long term. Well, and the problem is any of those mistakes we make take so long to correct. That's exactly right. And the other the other point that I would actually make is that you um, keep this in mind: cow calf uh, beef production is still in many ways, a commodity business. The way commodity businesses compete is primarily on cost. So what you have to remember is that uh, managing costs in cow-calf production is always going to be really important. So uh, no matter, we might be able to increase revenue on the calf side uh, with some uh, good matings and and, uh, good uh, genetics and good calf health programs, and we might make those calves worth 50 bucks more than maybe the rest of the calves. That's important, but we, we, we can't do it by increasing costs or increasing costs very much. We have to manage costs uh, at the same time. And that's a challenge. It's a real challenge right now. People are, you know, a lot of people are wondering why we're not expanding this cow herd more rapidly, given the Given the uh, 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 the amount of revenue we're getting from the sale of calves, so as you well know, calf prices are really, really good. But what I can tell you is that cost of production have escalated very rapidly. Yeah, I, I use the example that just three years ago at our ranch, we were buying hay for seventy five dollars a ton, and now we're buying hay for one hundred and fifty dollars a ton. That's a huge difference. That's a huge difference, and and so it's not it's the drought, it's it's other factors, but the high input costs are also slowing this expansion down a lot too. Well, as far as I can tell from all the predictions I've read, it's going to continue to expand slowly. We're going to see yeah. it be a very slow growth, which will be an interesting place for the market. I'm not sure that we've seen such a quick contraction and then slow regrowth, at least not, you know, yeah. in, in my memory. Yeah. So well, your be, memories, your your memory should be much shorter than mine. But uh, <laughs> what I would tell you is that this is this is, and I've been, I've been reading all the analysts, and I think we are we're not yet expanding. We're not right. yet expanding the cow herd. Uh, it's it's a little surprising to a lot of people that we're not. But I think drought and input costs uh, and other factors. You know, we've got a lot of sixty five year old ranchers who may exit the industry at this given point in time too, because the prices are really good. So there's Oh yeah, I don't blame them. If I was on the edge of retirement right now, I'd be looking at that going, yeah, if I don't have to incur any input costs next sure. year, sell them all. It's, it's, it's a, you know, so, so we got a lot of, there's a lot of factors going on here. The one critical piece though, you know, beef demand is actually quite good. And as long as beef demand stays strong, then I would actually look for these markets to continue. And uh, and and without very much expansion here, probably even over the next two years, I think Dr. Daryl Peel, Oklahoma State, I just read uh, something he wrote and he doesn't expect any expansion in 2024. And so if you begin to think about that, that would suggest that we should have pretty darn good calf feeder cattle prices uh, for perhaps another three or four years, which which will be you know, wonderful to people like us that are in this uh, part of the business. So, but uh, we're, we're pretty optimistic about that, but I think it's also a good time then to make the genetic investments yes. that really allow you to compete 
uh, a long, long ways down the road here too. Yeah, prices are high and grass in much of the country is short. So there has never been a better time to cull out all of those cows that you have thought about sure. over the years. Now's the yes. time. If they aren't contributing to your progress, no better time to get rid of them. I think yep. what excites me the most about this is from the cow-calf side, we are constantly told, you need to add this. You need to do this. You know, yep. this this will make everything better. Yeah. Without a whole lot of perspective given to that input side, like you brought up, yeah. you know, there, there's lots of things, even EID tags, you know, add in EID tags. Well, that's a cost. So many things yeah. that get pushed down that we don't necessarily see the benefit of right away. And if we can give that information to add that benefit to those producers, talk about a way to really stamp your program, brand your program and know what you're doing and what you're moving towards. And that's something that in the seed stock side, we've seen for so long, you know, yep. we're so used to knowing as much information as possible to be able to, to pass that down to the guy that's going to sell those calves to the feedlot, I think is really powerful. So I'm excited. Well, I, I appreciate your comments there, but I think you're right on. So yeah, I think uh, uh, there's no doubt and, and this is true in any industry. And I worked in the private sector for a number of years. Uh, there's no doubt that there's an awful lot of uh, organizations and entities selling things to ranchers that ranchers probably don't need. Okay, that's 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 very very common. But uh, but I'm a capitalist, and uh, that doesn't really bother me because that's how capitalism actually works. But you also have the 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 right to not buy and and frankly the responsibility to make good decisions yeah and uh, and and that's what we would expect people to do so uh, but yeah no I'm I'm uh, I'm very optimistic and enthused for this industry right now well thank you so much I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of lay out where this is going and the background behind it and I know I really look forward to seeing what you guys come up with. Well, thank you. And I, I enjoyed the opportunity to visit. And uh, if I can participate again sometime, give me a holler. Thank you. There's a few things about this genetic merit task force that I think are notable and that I've been kind of mulling over in the back of my head as I think about this and, and wanted to kind of get your guys' thoughts as well. So as always, head over to the Chronicles and let's talk about this on Facebook. Uh, but Notably missing from the list of supporters that have signed on to this task force is the American Angus Association. There's all sorts of breeds on there. Um, I think you heard mention that Amer that Red Angus, right, was one of the big pushers behind this, which makes sense when you think about it, right? But there's all sorts of breed associations that have signed on in support of this. Angus is missing. Well, let's think about why that might be, right? Right now... There's a lot of value tied up in CAB and in that black hide. And if we start to take some of that data and push it more towards actual genetic merit instead of meeting basic carcass quality standards and color standards, that could essentially put some pressure on that CAB program. Now, I love the idea of some natural pressure on CAB. I love the idea of 
American Angus, who have been king for so long, being forced to maybe revamp and rethink and have their supremacy challenged a little bit. But it does bring up some interesting questions about where that could potentially leave black Herefords, right? If our goal is to be Herefords, but with that black color to meet those CAB standards, that's just an interesting thing to think over. I also think it could be a great opportunity for us to prove some of those claims that we know are true about black Herefords. Let's get some feed efficiency data out there. What this task force is actually going to do is still pretty vague. They're still in their infancy. But I can see why some eyebrows are being raised. And I cannot wait to see what they come up with. This episode was sponsored by Walters Cattle Farms down in Kentucky. The Walters are committed to the American Black Hereford Association and its members. They believe in the future of this breed and the education and community that the association can provide. They also believe in muscled cattle. Take a look at what Walters Cattle Farms have going on by following them on Facebook, or you can give Robert a holler at 270-832-1180. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Herford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, <laughs>